This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Hey guys, welcome back to The Kitchen with Bay, And thanks for tuning in to another episode of A Day in the Life of a Home Bakery Owner. So today we have a super busy day planned. That's Baydri Nicole, also known as Chef Baydri. She's one of 150 million Americans who use TikTok, and we'll hear more from her later, because she represents one view of the app. Last week in Congress, we heard another. Yes or no? Do any bite dance employees in China, including engineers, currently have access to user, U.S. user data? Today, all um, U.S. user data is stored by default in the Oracle Cloud infrastructure, question, and access to that is controlled is, do any by American bite personnel. Dance employees in China, including engineers, currently have access to U.S. data? Uh, Congressman, uh, I would appreciate this. This is a complex uh, topic. Today, all data yes, is stored yes by no. default. It's not that complex. Yes or no, do they have access to user data? Well, that's Ohio Republican Congressman Bob Latta questioning TikTok CEO Sho Zi Chu in a tense hearing on Capitol Hill last week. You heard Latta mention ByteDance because that is the Chinese-owned company that owns TikTok. And Chu experienced a vigorous bipartisan grilling over congressional concerns that Chinese-owned TikTok presents a national security threat to the United States. TikTok, though, says it will protect U.S. users by moving their data to servers on U.S. soil. But Congresswoman Anna Eshoo, California Democrat, scoffed. Why would the Chinese government sidestep uh, their national law in terms of user data. Congressman, thank you for the question. I'm glad you asked this. As I said in the opening statement, our plan is to move American data to be stored on American soil by the American company. I understand that, but but you're sidestepping, or I haven't read anything uh, in terms of uh, TikTok, how you can actually say, and you spoke in your opening statement about a firewall relative to the data. But the Chinese government has that data. How, how can you promise that uh, that that will move into uh, into the United States of America and be protected here? Uh, Congressman, I have seen no evidence that the Chinese government has access to that data. They have never asked us. We have not provided. Well, you know what? I've I asked that, that. I find that actually preposterous. Well, the federal government and some states have already banned TikTok on government devices. And House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said this weekend that the push for a total ban in the United States is moving forward in the House. So what's really going on here? Is TikTok the grave national security threat it's made out to be? Or is this a proxy for a deeper battle, the ongoing tensions between the United States and China as a whole? Well, we're joined today by Emily Baker-White. She's senior writer and technology reporter at Forbes, and she's been watching developments with TikTok very closely. Emily, welcome to On Point. Thanks so much for having me. So how would you uh, characterize the five plus hours of uh, questioning and testimony uh, from last week? Well, they weren't entirely dissimilar to other big tech hearings we've seen. I think we saw a lot of frustration from lawmakers, and I think we saw a CEO who kept his cool, was pretty even keeled, but definitely had a hostile audience. 
a hostile audience. Okay, can you help us understand, first of all, why was Shozi Chu actually testifying before Congress last week? What is there anything particular about the timing? I think there are several interesting things about the timing, but but to back up a little bit, um, for years, folks in the federal government have been talking about national security risks posed by TikTok. And for the most part, they're talking about two types of things. The first, uh, which we heard a little bit about in the intro, is a fear that TikTok is installed on 150 million phones in the United States and is collecting lots of data about the people who are using those phones. And the fear is that the Chinese government could use that data, could collect that data and then use it um, in ways that would compromise our national security. The other sort of flavor of threat is that uh, the Chinese government acting through ByteDance could subtly influence what Americans are seeing on TikTok in a way that might not be evident to us at all, um, but in a way that could affect our civic discourse, our sort of commercial behavior, et cetera, in a way that would benefit the Chinese state and and potentially hurt the American state. Okay. So um, before we go any further, then help us understand just a little bit more about this ownership structure. We say we say um, Chinese owned ByteDance owns uh, TikTok. So clarify that a little bit. Yeah. So ByteDance is a huge Chinese tech company, um, not necessarily unlike the way Meta and Alphabet are sort of the United States' huge tech companies. And ByteDance has built dozens of apps over the years. And some of those apps um, operate in China, in mainland China, and some of them operate internationally. TikTok is one of their apps that took off internationally. um, And it got so big that they formed a separate business that is just TikTok. But ByteDance and TikTok are really pretty entwined on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. People who are working at TikTok and people who are working at ByteDance are talking to each other all the time just to sort of make the app run. Um, And and so the fear is that because there are people who work for ByteDance who are working directly on TikTok and because a lot of those people are based in China, the Chinese government, sort of unlike the United States government, can require both its citizens and companies that that are based in China to turn over information if if asked. And so a member of the Chinese government can come to your house and point a gun to your head and say, you have to give me this information that you have access to. And there's really nothing that those people and companies can do to resist that. That's just how it works. And so the fear is if people in China um, who are Chinese nationals subject to Chinese law have access either to a bunch of American user data or have the ability through through the ByteDance and TikTok software to subtly or dramatically influence what is popular on the app, what is shown to users on the app, that the Chinese state could use ByteDance, the entity or individual employees at ByteDance or TikTok who are residing in China to sort of influence what's going on in in the United States. 
Okay, so surveillance and influence, really, to to boil it down to simple terms here. Uh, A little bit later in the show, Emily, we're going to talk about how maybe there's just a little bit of hypocrisy going on uh, with the U.S. government regarding, um, you know, its fear of the Chinese government harvesting data in the United States, because um, I want to ask, I'm going to want to ask about what uh, the U.S. government asks American uh, U.S.-based companies to do on a regular basis. But that's for a little bit later in the show. I want to play a little bit more from um the uh the congressional testimony and questioning that TikTok CEO uh show uh Chu uh, experienced last week and here is a moment from his opening statement to uh the congressional committee on Thursday we will firewall protected US data from unwanted foreign access TikTok will remain a place for free expression and will not be manipulated by any government Okay, so Emily, let's just get this out of the way because it's uh, come up. It came up over and over again on in Thursday's hearing. This idea of a firewall to protect U.S. data that TikTok says it's uh, it's constructing and spending some like twelve billion dollars, I, I believe. Can you explain what that is? So TikTok's plan um, is is something that they've called internally that they call Project Texas. And they've been working on this for over a year. I wrote my first story about Project Texas in March of last year. Um, And the idea is that if TikTok can take U.S. user data and, in fact, the decision making that influences what users see in the United States and they can make that stuff accessible only to a specific team of people who work for TikTok in the United States, and all the data is housed in the United States. It's managed by people in the United States. And it's so the only people who have access to it are part of this special team that they now call USDS or US Data Services. Then they can put additional restrictions on that team, um, including having a duty not just to ByteDance, their owner, but also to the US government and, and having lots of oversight from sort of independent bodies. They are hoping that they can create a system where ByteDance can still own that entity, USDS, but it can't have full access to its information. And this is, TikTok has put a lot of work into this, a lot of money into this. I'm not sure I've seen the 12 billion figure, but um, I've I've definitely seen figures above $1 billion. And um, the hope is that this will create a, a framework that ByteDance and TikTok can use again. They can do the same thing in Europe. They could do the same thing really with any government that's worried about access to data internationally. And frankly, if TikTok and ByteDance could pull this off, a lot of other companies could do it too and could then operate both in the Chinese market and in Western markets, which is sort of not a thing that many companies have been able to do because they have run into this kind of problem. And so If TikTok and ByteDance were able to pull this off and were able to placate legislators and everyone would feel comfortable about how the data was stored and who had access to it, it could be a really big deal. But it doesn't sound right now like legislators and regulators are going for it. And sort of the biggest Mm -hmm. piece of recent news about TikTok and ByteDance before the hearing was TikTok told members of the press that after years of negotiating with the U.S. government to try to come to this Project Texas agreement, the Biden administration is now threatening and and saying ByteDance will have to sell TikTok or divest from TikTok or potentially face a total ban in the United States. 
Okay, so we're going to talk about how China responded to that uh, in a few minutes. But Emily, I appreciate you correcting me on that 12 billion number. I actually have it here in front of me. And you know what? There was a decimal in between <laughs> the numbers I was looking at. Um, Reuters has a report that says the, that TikTok has spent more than one point. Five billion. So I messed it up I've in heard two that different too. ways. Okay. <laughs> it's still a lot of money. It's still a lot of money, and maybe I need to get a new prescription for my glasses. But anyway, today we are talking about why uh, members of Congress, the Biden administration, and the Trump administration, even prior to that, considered TikTok a national security threat. What exactly is going on here? And the deeper story about what this is saying regarding. U.S.-China tensions. Emily Baker-White is with us. She's tech reporter and senior writer at Forbes. We'll have more in a moment. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com onpoint. That's Indeed.com onpoint. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and today we're talking about the TikTok battles. I'm joined today by Emily Baker-White. She's tech reporter and senior writer at Forbes. And let's listen to a little bit more of the vigorous questioning that went on in uh, in a congressional hearing last week, where TikTok CEO Shozi Chu uh, showed up. And here he is being questioned by uh, Representative Tim Wahlberg, Republican from Michigan, about who specifically has access to TikTok's data. We have relied on global interoperability. You yeah. have c- access c- to American data. Congressman, I'm answering your question. If you give me just a bit of time. We, we rely on global interoperability, and we have employees in China. So, yes, the Chinese engineers do have access to global data. They have access to global data. Uh, we have heard. Not concerns. storage. No, storage has always been in Virginia and Singapore. The, the physical service. You have no access to storage, to American data today. And that's not what I said. I said. So you do have access to American data and you have storage of American data. The American data has always been stored in Virginia and Singapore in the past. And access of this is on an as required basis. As by required of globally, who? By engineers for business purposes. By engineers. This is a private com- by dance. ByteDance, uh, the Communist out, Party. D- no, no. Why? Uh, how can you say that? This is a if they have access. Business. This is a private business, and is uh, like many other businesses, many other American companies. We rely on the global workforce. Again, that's a moment from the 
congressional hearing last week where TikTok CEO Shozi Chu uh, was questioned by members of Congress. Well, joining us now is Jim Lewis. He's director of the Strategic Technologies Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Jim, welcome to On Point. Thank you. Okay, so first of all, what I really want to get a deeper understanding of is what specifically is you know the the national security threat here. Emily gave us the sort of the the broad the broad strokes. But what is it about TikTok user data that could potentially make the U.S. vulnerable? You know, we're coming in contact with a country that has the, the world's most uh, expansive uh, espionage and intelligence operation. And so China surveils all of its citizens, more than a billion people. It is present on every social media platform in China. And it has begun a very aggressive campaign to influence uh, Western politics, American politics, by shaping information in China's favor. And this comes on top of <clears throat> a long record of espionage. There's about 20 espionage instances, instant, incidents a year with the Chinese. So TikTok comes at a backdrop of a country that nobody trusts. We're not the only ones. A dozen other countries are looking at banning TikTok. So you know, it's it's that background. And you can use the personal data for intelligence purposes. The Chinese, um, a few years ago in 2015, did a massive series of break-ins to collect data on millions of Americans. Uh, you can use it for targeting. You can use it, think of like targeted advertising for a commercial sense. Well, you could use it that way for political operations. And of course, you could use it to look for people of interest, uh, pot potential agents or something. So the the risks are really there when it comes to uh, China, because we see them do it to their own people and do it to others. Mm. Well, regarding the information influence piece of this, I mean, you don't even need to own the company directly to uh, to sort of in inject misinformation or or try to influence through information. Through information, we we've seen that already by uh, your Russian operations, for example. Yeah, and misinformation is, is a little exaggerated as a threat, but you don't want to dismiss it. I mean, the the real problems are social problems in the U.S., and that gives information operations traction. But the Chinese are very careful at controlling what people see. And so on TikTok, you can still see things but the like Tiananmen Square, which you can't see on its Chinese equivalent. But there's a sense that the Chinese could shape the data, shape the information, shape the content in a way that supports their point of view, which is that the Chinese model of a centrally run country by a communist party is the right one to do. So it's this fear that China is not always trustworthy and that TikTok, you know, we heard the CEO make all these statements. At the end of the day, I felt sorry for him. I, I turned the, the testimony off a few times because I felt so bad for him. But, you know, at the end of the day, the Chinese can do whatever they want with TikTok's data, with TikTok's content stream. And with TikTok's personnel. So that's mm -hmm. not very reassuring. Okay. So, Emily, let me turn back to you because I, I, I'd love to hear if we, there are known examples of things, if there are things that the Chinese government has already done with TikTok um, that would give credence to the, the concerns over national security. I mean, are there times where, uh, I don't know, it's uh, amplified positive news ab about uh, the Chinese Communist Party's model of governance? I don't know of any examples of that happening on TikTok. 
I did report a story last year about another ByteDance app. It no longer exists. It was a news aggregator app called Top Buzz that was pitched to an international audience and did have a bunch of users here in the U.S. And several former employees of ByteDance told me that Top Buzz would occasionally pin content sort of to the top of its feed. It was a feed-based app um, that was... That, that portrayed China in a positive light. And this wasn't like President Xi standing on a tank type of thing. It was more likely to be, look at these cute pandas, or this is a great place to travel for, you know, tourism. But um, these these former employees did tell me that this happened. Uh, when I reported it out, ByteDance denied that it had happened. But that is sort of the clearest uh, piece of reporting that I know of that suggests that ByteDance has in the past actually... Um, promoted certain content to Western audiences, perhaps to sort of placate the Chinese government. Now, of course, the opposite side of that is censorship. And there have been reports that, at least in the past, TikTok has removed or suppressed content that was critical of the Chinese government. Obviously, some of that content is available on the platform today, but we don't know, for example, if it's downranked or if there are other ways to sort of suppress how widely it is shared on TikTok. Mm. Now, that reporting that you had just talked about, I believe that also leads us to you being at least one example of how ByteDance might have actually been surveilling uh, a U.S. citizen, namely you. So, yeah, a team at ByteDance pulled my TikTok data in order to try to understand where I was going and who I was talking to. And this is something that the company has admitted happened. Um, So there's not a lot of dispute about the facts there. They were trying to figure out who leaked me information. Uh, I was talking to sources inside the company. They were telling me things that the company didn't want them to tell me and providing me with information the company didn't want them to provide me. And so they were trying to chase down a leak. And in order to do that, they pulled my TikTok data and tried to use my IP address to figure out where I was going and if I was perhaps going to the same places as TikTok or ByteDance employees. And so what does this tell you, though? I mean, if it's happened once, meaning yeah. could so, it happen again? Uh, yeah. The fact that some employees at TikTok and ByteDance know where I like to get my coffee, uh, it's it's intrusive. I don't like it. I wish that didn't happen. But what sounds a lot scarier to me is if employees at ByteDance had pulled the data of Chinese dissidents living in the United States or members of the military or things like that, because if they did pull that data and if the Chinese government did demand that they turn it over, that could actually put people in danger. I don't feel scared in my home, but the fact that that data was available and that it could be pulled on a like one-off basis to surveil one citizen means that at least at the time it was pulled, it could have been pulled in other instances as well. Okay, so I want to take a step back here because I mean I hear what both of you are saying about the uh, the concerns, the national security concerns, the influence concerns that come along with um, you know a, a major foreign government having um, a tool like TikTok potentially at its disposal. But in a sense, I feel like this is one of those moments where we need to be looking in the mirror as well. So here's Representative Jamal Bowman, Democrat from New York. Um, and he actually held a press conference with TikTok creators in uh, on Wednesday last week, so just a day before uh, Chu gave his testimony before Congress. Uh, and Bowman opposes a any proposed ban on the app. 
why the hysteria and the panic and the targeting of TikTok. As we know, Republicans in particular have been sounding the alarm, creating a red scare around China. So let's not have a dishonest conversation. Let's not be racist towards China and express our xenophobia when it comes to TikTok because American companies have done tremendous harm to American people. Once again, that's Representative, excuse me, Representative Jamal Bowman, Democrat from New York, uh, on Wednesday of last week. I would say though that, uh, as we heard earlier, there's quite a bipartisan uh, concern uh, about China. It's not exclusive to Republicans, but um, Jim Lewis, it's that last part of what Bowman said that I want to drill down on a little bit because, look, just because. TikTok is ba- or ByteDance is based in China doesn't mean that we don't have U.S. companies right now who I presume say, well, one of them being the biggest social media company in the world, Meta slash Facebook. I presume if the U.S. government went to a FISA court and said, we need data from you, Mark Zuckerberg, on citizen or non-U.S. citizen XYZ in these five foreign countries and the FISA court agreed to it, that Facebook wouldn't just hand it over. I mean, so so what? honestly, what difference is there between the kinds of uh, data extraction that the U.S. government can lawfully do with U.S.-based companies and that which China might be doing with TikTok? Well, well first, let's dismiss the notion that there's a comparable political system between the U.S. and China. Would you rather have Xi Jinping in charge or Joe Biden? And would you rather have a system of law? Chinese law is very clear. Our laws apply unless the government says otherwise. They don't have to go to a court. And so that's a lot of the concern here is that there is surveillance in the there's surveillance everywhere in the world. I hope your listeners won't be shocked to learn that I did a survey a few years ago. Every country engages in some kind of surveillance is the rules around that surveillance that are important. Do you have to get a warrant? Why are you doing it? Is it for political control to suppress domestic dissent? dissent? Or is it for counterterrorism or counterintelligence or WMD, which is the targeted surveillance the U.S. does? So there's no comparison at all. And the issue with TikTok is you've got the, the dream of every hacker is to install spyware on your device. And with TikTok... You're downloading it voluntarily. It's beautiful, right? But that means that if the Chinese government wakes up tomorrow and says, I want to see what's looking at the data that's available on your app loaded on your device, they can do it. They don't need to get a warrant. That's the biggest threat is TikTok is the potential delivery vehicle for a massive Chinese spyware campaign. And there's really no good answer to that other than very intensive monitoring, not by the company itself. But don't don't assume that what happens in the U.S. and what happens in China are the same thing. Uh, it's, if we were having this discussion in China, we'd all be called into the police station the next day to explain why we were betraying the motherland. So it's not the same at all. Okay, so uh, I'm not asserting that a mostly functioning democracy like the United States and the China Chinese communist government are the same. But what I'm saying is, I th- is there no credence at all to what Bowman was uh, hinting at earlier in that tape about the xenophobia? Because, 
the U.S. most certainly it's it's not out of the question that through again yes warrants and the court system, but FISA courts being secret, for example, that the U.S. does actually do engage in the in similar actions to what we would be fearing uh, that China is doing as well. No, it was a bad day for TikTok's uh, CEO to go up. I, I actually suggested to them that he call in and sick and say he couldn't make it that day because this came not too long after the Chinese floated a balloon over the U.S. Yes, a lot of panic and hysteria, but it was trying to collect intelligence, signals intelligence. The problem is that the U.S. has a real issue with Chinese espionage. It's massive. It's been going on for a couple decades. Now we have to deal with it. And you know how this country works. You know how politics work here, especially now, is that people are going to crank up the volume. So is he right there's a little bit of hysteria? Yes. But is he right that there's not something to be worried about? No, he's completely wrong there. Is This is something that we have to look at because ByteDance, living in Beijing, subject to Chinese law, with a board member from the Chinese Communist Party, um, you feel like you can trust them? Uh, don't think so. And bear in mind, the case I always use is San Bernardino, an obvious case of terrorism uh, with multiple injuries, multiple deaths. And Apple refused to turn over the data. And the FBI didn't call them in to drink tea, is which they, what they call it in China. They didn't call them in to drink tea. They went to court, and I don't think they ever won that case. They found other ways. But you couldn't do that in China. And so there's clear differences that increase the risk significantly. Mm. Well, uh, you asked perhaps the rhetorical question, do, do I think I could trust them? No, I don't. I also don't. I have uh, perhaps um, a little bit of skepticism about how much we can trust uh, you know, meta, or even the responsibility with which the U.S. government uses data um, that it collects either through social media companies or by itself, because it wasn't that long ago, remember, that the NSA was doing bulk surveillance on U.S. citizens that Edward Snowden, uh, you know, blew the whistle on. And in 2020, a U.S. Court of Appeals ruled that that action was unlawful. The What the NSA was doing was unlawful and that intelligence leaders had lied about it. So... Maybe I'm just showing my age here by remembering well, that. But no, no. I mean, because that's where that's where the the uh, the the differences become a little more stark. Is NSA to the Bowman's point about panic? The the Bush administration panicked. They ordered this thing because of 9/11, and NSA was closing the program down because it mass surveillance isn't that useful, and that's something that gets out. It's useful if your goal is political control, if you don't want to challenge to a party that says we alone can rule the country. But you know, it's a fair point. I mean, people don't trust the community. I think what we'll see now is in the upcoming debates over FISA renewal, you'll probably get more guardrails, but you're not going to have any guardrails in China. Mm. Emily, we've got 30 seconds before our next break. I'm sorry that I didn't turn to you earlier, but your quick thoughts on this. Yes, and I mean, I I think there are very legitimate criticisms with how the U.S. government has used surveillance and where it has perhaps overstepped what is legal. And we know that happens and we should be vigilant and try to make it happen less. Uh, We also know that the Chinese state is engaged in surveillance that that does not turn to a court or any process to make sure that it's fair. So I think um, we should be worried about all government's use of surveillance and maybe um, lawmakers who are thinking about how to deal with this could could actually address both of those concerns. 
Ooh. Okay. So there's a point for us to discuss more when we come back. Emily Baker White at Forbes and Jim Lewis at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. More to talk about regarding TikTok, China, and the U.S. in just a minute. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And just a heads up on something we're working on for Friday of this week. We're going to be talking about telehealth in the United States. You know, those remote uh, appointments you can have with your doctor or nurse practitioner. It was one of the major breakthroughs uh, in, as a result, I should say, of the COVID pandemic. So we want to know, do you find virtual appointments more convenient than in-person visits? Are they still available where you live in your state? Or have telehealth visits uh, ended uh, since they were maybe a pandemic-only thing. So what do you think about the quality of virtual care? Now, you can share your experience by recording a message on our OnPoint Vox Pop app. If it's not on your phone already, just search for OnPoint Vox Pop wherever you get your apps. You can also leave us a voicemail at 617-353-0683. So whether you're a patient or a practitioner, we want to hear about your thoughts regarding telemedicine. That's for Friday's show. Today we're talking about the battle over TikTok and Emily Baker White joins us. She's a tech reporter and senior writer at Forbes. And Jim Lewis is also with us. He's director of the of Strategic Technologies Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. And let's hear a little bit more from what happened last week on Thursday when TikTok CEO Sho uh, Zi Chu testified uh, before Congress, because many members also raised concerns about uh, the quality of content or harmful content, to put it more specifically, that could be available on TikTok. So here's Congressman Buddy Carter, Republican from Georgia, questioning uh, TikTok CEO. You know about the milk crate. You know about the uh, about the blackout challenge. You know about the uh, NyQuil chicken challenge, the Benadryl challenge, the dragon's breath liquid nitrogen trend are the challenge that promotes car theft. I want to ask you, as I understand it, there's a sister app in China, Doikin, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm butchering the, the pronunciation. Do they have these same things over there? Do they have these kind of challenges uh, in Congress, China? Congressman, I'm really glad you asked this question. Uh, yeah. Do they, yes or no? I'm not sure. Because yeah, whoa, 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 come on now, you're not sure? I really am not sure. Because it's my understanding they don't. 
Why is it that TikTok consistently fails to identify and moderate these kinds of, of harmful videos? Okay, so that's one uh, view of TikTok that we heard last week in the testimony and the questioning. But there are many, many other uses of the app. And so joining us now is Badri Nickel. Uh, she's a TikTok creator and founder and owner of Coco's Confectionery Kitchen, a home bakery business. Badri Nickel, uh, Nicole, excuse me, welcome to you. Hi there. Thank you so much for having uh, me. It's great to have you. I apologize for mispronouncing your last name there. I'll get it oh, right eventually. That's okay. That's okay. No worries. Thank you for correcting so, it. So tell me a little bit about um, how much TikTok has had an impact on your life. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm very transparent in the fact that TikTok has really not only changed, but transformed my life and my opportunities. Um, as someone that, you know, was used to relying on a, a nine standardized nine to five, um, I was a student uh, during, you know, the time where TikTok really came onto the scene in America. Um, and it was a great way for me to be able to uh, connect with people all over the globe uh, that, you know, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to access because we were in the middle of a shutdown. Um, so like for me, for many, uh, at, like, the same as for many as for me, um, a lot of the reason that I joined the app wasn't actually from a business perspective. It was from a social perspective. I wanted the opportunity to be able to connect with people in a time where I felt the most socially isolated. I, and I wanted the opportunity to be able to educate myself because I quickly realized after interacting with the app that TikTok wasn't just what it had been explained to me as um, on the news on a, a lot of um, American news cycles that I had seen, which was the dancing app. I saw mm -hmm. it as a educational platform. And so it was my opportunity. Um, I was already a student. I was going for my MBA in marketing. But I saw very quickly that um, commonly, like American standardized education, I wasn't getting the information that I needed to actually apply to my field when I entered it after graduation. So I use it as the opportunity to get on there and learn some very uh, integral business skills to help me to understand how to enter entrepreneurship in a greater way um, and how to be successful. I was able to find information um, for my bakery that did launch also during the shutdown, Coco's Confectionery Kitchen. Um, I was able to get information on how to ship adequately and how to start producing um, on in doing e-commerce and all of this information that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to easily access and it wouldn't have been explained not only from you know a professional standpoint in their point of view but from the point of view of people that are actually engaging in the process so it, it, uh, it's so much bigger for me than just the monetary aspect or the way I've been able to have um, a certain amount of financial success by using the app it's really the education that I've been able to access that has been more important to me than any more life-changing than anything. Right, right. Okay. Now, I understand that um, last week you, with uh, a couple of dozen other TikTok creators, were, uh, were mm -hmm. in Washington on the day of uh, uh, the CEO's Shozi uh, Cho Cho's testimony. Yeah. Um, and for tra total transparency, you came at the invitation of TikTok and they paid for your hotel. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. And I, I, I want to be clear on that. Um, I've been hearing a lot of um, conversation and ideology um, about the opinions people have formed about that. And to be clear, for someone like me who may doesn't have access to the ability to just, you know, be able to pay for a flight, a last minute flight or, you know, a hotel to be able to come into town. What they did for us was they removed barriers to access. And for black and brown people, especially in, <clears throat> excuse me, in this country, that's not always the case for us. Um, usually mm -hmm. there are 
are things that are put in our way um, to be able to access these opportunities. And a lot of brands that I've worked with have said, you know, you can come out and you can do this and you can speak on our behalf, but you need to cover your travel fees and you need to do this and you need to do that, uh, which restricts our ability to use our voice and tell our story. So I appreciate it. And I know from the other creators, because we actually had this conversation before it was even, you know, talked about in the media, we had the conversation about how great it was that TikTok was able to allow us this opportunity and make it easy for us to be able to come and just tell our story. And I want to be clear, too, on the fact that it's not as if, you know, TikTok said, OK, when you come out, you have to talk to this amount of uh, media outlets and you have to do these speaking engagements. When we came, they just wanted us to share our story with show and each other mm -hmm. and help each other mm -hmm. and show to understand why the app is so vitally important to us. Then if we wanted to be able to take, you know, our story on a greater platform, they made those opportunities available and tried to help coordinate that. Uh, but at the same time, it's not like that was the requirement for you to attend. Yeah. Yeah. So one more quick question for you, uh, Beidri, mm -hmm. and I really appreciate your perspective here because, um, you know, there's you and millions of other people who have said mm -hmm. very clearly that what they do now couldn't have been done without TikTok, right? You I mean, your story Absolutely. is really uh, ex exemplifies that. But as you as you've been hearing, um, in, you know, in this conversation and in others, the overriding concern in Washington right now is of the, the national security threats that potentially uh, TikTok represents. And so, mm -hmm. you know, they, they might say that that threat uh, is uh, bigger than the um, the opportunities that TikTok has given you and and other creators. I mean, what do you think about uh, about that? Yeah, no. Um, I while I understand the concern, right, from um, our lawmakers and just society as a whole, because I think that's important. That's why they were elected uh, was for them to make sure that they are keeping our safety at front of mind. Uh, but I think that we also have to be clear on the fact that. TikTok is not the only app that's creating security concerns. Um, I know that I have I am on nearly every social media app, and my information hasn't been accessed by any of any on, on on the TikTok platform in comparison to how it is on any of my Meta platforms. I've had all nearly all three of my Meta accounts hacked, whether it be Instagram or Facebook. And when we go to try to get information about what information was accessed. The only information that's provided to us um, is the fact that we need to change our password to make our account more secure. Even though they are admitting that information has been taken, if we don't know what channels it's going through, we don't know who is accessing it, we don't have any of that information. Um, and I think we would be remiss to not acknowledge that platforms like Reddit and uh, Twitter have actually caused entire insurgences and domestic threats of terrorism as a result of being present and allowing certain things to take place on the app. So I think that the safety issue can't just be, you know, restricted to, you know, what governments are gaining access to that information. But I think it's a much greater issue, as Bowman uh, discussed at the press conference, that we need to be aware of the the way people are accessing the apps and using the apps and how that information is being used across the board. It's not just mm -hmm. a TikTok issue. Well, Badri Nicole in Columbus, Ohio, founder of Coco's Confectionery Kitchen and a TikTok creator as well. Thank you so much for joining us today, Badri. You're so welcome. All right. So Emily Baker White and Jim Lewis, on the point that Badri Nicole was just making, um, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez recently posted her first ever TikTok. And she said that proposals... Uh, 
to ban the app that she was posting on for the first time ever didn't, quote, feel right to her because the congresswoman said that all social media companies are able to collect troves of data without user knowledge and without much regulation. The United States is one of the only developed nations in the world that has no significant data or privacy protection laws on the books. To me, the solution here is not to ban an individual company, but to actually protect Americans from this kind of egregious data harvesting that companies can do without your significant ability to say no. Jim Lewis, respond to that. Well, I think she's uh, got a good point. Within reason. Look, a ban is unlikely because of the First Amendment issues. Uh, The Trump administration tried to ban and courts threw it out. This administration has been a lot more careful. Divestiture, which is forcing ByteDance to sell TikTok, that's something we could do, but it will be hard because it's just such an expensive company. The monitoring approach might work if it wasn't TikTok monitoring itself. But one thing that we need to bear in mind is that Hill is united in its concern about China, right? And we catch the more flamboyant utterances, but every member is concerned about China and the risk of Chinese espionage. If TikTok was a Brazilian company or a Swedish company, sure, we'd have the same problems we have with any social media platform. And the fact that we don't have a good privacy law in the US or any privacy law, frankly, at the national level. Um, But that's not the core of the issue. The core of the issue is Chinese ownership. We need to fix privacy in social media, but let's not conflate the two. Mm. Emily Baker White, uh, you know, there's another large company that not that long ago, I believe a couple of years ago, sorry, large country, I should say, outright banned TikTok. I was looking at one of your colleagues reporting at Forbes and India India, huge, massive market. A couple of years ago, I believe, banned TikTok outright due to, again, national security concerns and, you know, uh, fear of uh, the Chinese military, in fact. And in its place, Instagram um, has really surged in India. So an outright ban wouldn't be without precedence here. Was that you with a little smirk there? Because I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg loves getting a greater foothold in India. But, but I mean, I only point that out insofar as just to give context. I mean, what do you think is the most sort of plausible way forward here um, if, if the Hill, as Jim Lewis is saying, is so united in doing something? Yeah, so I think... The Hill could do something to raise the standard for data privacy across the board, as I think AOC, as I think uh, Bowman, and and actually a lot of uh, members of the committee the other day were talking about. And that would be good. But setting that aside for a moment, um, I think divestiture is an appealing option to a lot of people. I don't think anyone really wants to ban TikTok if there is another way. And another way that would fix the ownership problem that Jim just mentioned um, would be to say, okay, ByteDance, you have to sell TikTok or TikTok has to separate from ByteDance so that ByteDance no longer controls TikTok. And I think that's appealing to a lot of people. um, But there is some question about whether the Chinese government would allow ByteDance to sell TikTok. Um, Last time... uh, the Trump administration was trying to force a sale. There were some last-minute tweaks to uh, the Chinese government's export rules. And so it is possible, I think, that if the United States government moves toward forcing a sale, the Chinese government could make its own moves to try to prevent that from happening. So I think that's just an area to watch as we move forward. 
Well, so Jim, I mean, Emily is exactly right. Just after uh, the TikTok CEO's congressional testimony, uh, the Chinese Ministry of Commerce said it would, quote, strongly oppose a forced sale of TikTok. Uh, so the government, the Chinese government would be involved heavily uh, in any action that the U.S. Uh, might take and that they would um, use the, that that law that Emily mentioned, the Chinese law on tech exports, which I believe would require licensing for certain kinds of technologies uh, being sold out, out of China. Can you, can you tell me uh, about con concerns that you have, if any, of uh, possible retaliation from China if the U.S. moves forward with some kind of clampdown on TikTok? You know, China loves TikTok because it's their only globally successful app. It's the only one that non-Chinese in the millions use. And so they love it. They want to protect it. They're mad at the U.S. Um, it's going to be a tough time for TikTok. But the Chinese are a bit limited in their ability to retaliate because they already ban all our social media, right? right? You don't see anyone there. So it's like, sorry. So I think... You know, a ban, a lot of this should be seen not as an effort to ban, although you could ban financial transactions. That would hurt growth. That would hurt revenue. Um, divestiture, as as you heard, will be hard. Um, but the goal is to move uh, ByteDance to make concessions when it comes to monitoring and oversight. Um, we may not get there. I mean, this is going to be tricky. But uh, a partial ban on financial transactions, I'd say partial ban rather than a full ban. Or maybe divestiture, although I think that's unlikely. But they're going to be forced to do something whether they like it or not. Well, and as you noted, um, China has for a long time banned uh, U.S.-based social media apps like Facebook. So um, this just has the feel to me of ongoing sort of ratcheting up of tit for tat to what end I don't no. So Jim Lewis, director of the Strategic Technologies Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. It was great to have you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Emily Baker-White, tech reporter and senior writer at Forbes. Emily, it was wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. <laughs> 